This is the word of the Lord. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she, uh, she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since... No one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves. That is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment and weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste." And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all, and all those who trade on the sea stood afar off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, of the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she's been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more, and the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more, and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more, for your merchants 
were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And then in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father in heaven, we pray <coughs> for your Holy Spirit to uh, instruct us uh, that you might take these, uh, these uh, ancient words and apply them into our lives, that you would uh, lead us to our Savior, uh, and that we would re- receive him with faith and follow him with obedience. And so now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 So we are in uh, Revelation 18, which uh, may have been a strange passage for you to listen to. It's kind of a long passage, a lot of the destruction of the great city. But it's a very important chapter in understanding the book of Revelation as a whole. And if you've uh, been with us in our study through the book of Revelation, you know that uh, this chapter, that Revelation is describing the years leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in, uh, in 70 AD. The destruction of Jerusalem that happened in 70 AD, it's not just you know, something we read about in the Bible. It's attested to in history as a major historical event. as one of the most important events in biblical history. And Jesus predicted that it was going to happen about 40 years uh, uh, before it did. And uh, last week, we gave some rationale where in this passage talks about Babylon the Great, the great city, why that great city is Jerusalem. And so the, the city that's being destroyed in this passage is Jerusalem is destroyed at the end of the first generation of, of Christians in 70 AD. And um, I gave you a few reasons last week. I want to give you one more reason from this passage why we understand this passage to be saying that. And it's that last verse In the passage I just read, verse 24, it says, And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who have been uh, slain in the earth. So the city, Babylon the Great City, is the city where the prophets and the saints have been slain. And uh, actually, you know, Jesus also talked about the destruction of Jerusalem. And in his teaching about the destruction of Jerusalem, this is what he says about Jerusalem. He says, Uh, That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. See, Jesus says all the prophets and the saints, they died in Jerusalem. And now Jerusalem, the, they've, the Lord has offered forgiveness for centuries and centuries. Come back to me, and finally the day of judgment has come. And so that's what uh, Revelation 18 is about. And so basically, this passage I just read is describing the fate of God's chosen city when it turns away from the Lord, when it apostatizes. If you don't know that word apostasy, apostasy is when someone is a, a Christian or a believer, you know, they're one of God's people, and then they turn away from the Lord and say, I'm going to reject the Lord, I'm going to close my heart to him, and I want to go my own way, and I'm not going to follow after the Lord. I'm going to reject the Lord. So that's apostasy. And, um, and so uh, apostasy 
is our topic today. And I'll tell you, it's a very big issue in our culture right now. You know, we live in a culture where 100 years ago, the vast majority of people went to church and worshiped the Lord and said they believed in the Bible and they believed in Jesus. And of course, many of you know that uh, devotion to the Lord is in steep decline in our culture. So the topic of apostasy is, is very uh, important in our day. So I think it's helpful for us to reflect on it this morning. So I want to uh, just point out four observations from Revelation 18 for us this morning. This is what they are. Is that apostasy means sometimes you have to leave a church. Second, apostasy grows among the wealthy. Third, apostasy can be seen in a community's worship. And fourth, apostasy ultimately can lead people, though, to Jesus. Okay? So apostasy means sometimes you have to leave a church. It grows among the wealthy. Apostasy can be seen in a community's worship. The worship is the place to look. Uh, And then apostasy can lead people uh, to Jesus. So four important insights for us this morning. And the first is this. Apostasy means that sometimes you have to leave a church community. You have to leave a community of God's people because they are not being faithful to the Lord. They're not following what the Lord says. They're not believing in the Lord. They're not repenting of their sins. And um, I'll tell you, a revelation was written uh, to first century Christians, many of whom would lose their lives for their faith. And probably most of these Christians were Jews. And so you can imagine, you know, you, you were a devout Jew growing up, and then you come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the promised king that was promised to the, to the Jews. And, uh, uh, but your brothers in Jerusalem were the ones who had crucified the king that you believed that God had sent. And you might still love Jerusalem. Maybe you've spent your whole life, you traveled there for feasts, and you'd go visit the temple, and you'd go worship in the temple. And so you could imagine how you would feel when Jerusalem, which was the holiest city, is described this way. Verse 2. And the angel called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. I mean, that's just for God's holy city to be called Babylon is just this great statement of its apostasy. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean detestable beast, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And so you can imagine, you say, these are my kin, these are my people, this is my church. These are God's people that I grew up with. How am I supposed to relate to people that I love, but yet have turned away from the Lord or hardened themselves against the Lord? Maybe some of you have been in that situation. People close to you that have hardened themselves to the Lord. And you say, I'm, that's just not where I am. How do I relate to them now? Well, the message is clear in this passage. Verse 4 says, And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And uh, basically, this is a clear command to Christians who are living in Jerusalem, you need to leave. Uh, they were gonna be, and, you know, there were all kinds of revolutionaries uh, in Jerusalem around the time of, of Jesus in the, in the early church. And the revolutionaries were telling the Jews, they were saying, hey, listen, we need to take up arms against the Romans. God's going to deliver us against our enemies. 
And Jesus was saying to them, no, that's not what's going to happen. Judgment is going to come on the city. And if you stay in the city, the judgment's going to be indiscriminate. You will suffer with the people. So are you going to believe the word that Jesus says or the the word that Revelation says? And I'll tell you, you know, it reminds me of a scene um, from the great uh, epic poem uh, Paradise Lost. Uh, If you've read Paradise Lost, You'll know that in book, Paradise Lost is, a, is basically an elaboration on the story of the fall of Adam and Eve in the Bible. And it's turned into this great epic poem. And in book five, it tells the story about how Satan had rebelled against God in heaven. You know, it, it, uh, Satan was like this great angel and he had a whole army of angels under him. And he didn't want to give glory to God because he wanted glory for himself. And so he takes his uh, army of angels into the northern part of heaven and he gives this speech to them. He says, basically, do you want to give glory to the Son of God who the Father favors the most or do we want glory for ourselves? And so all these innumerable angels are apostatizing. It's this, this defiance against heaven, their hearts. And it's a great scene because there's one angel in the innumerable angels. His name is Abdiel, you know, who raises his hand. And he has this counter speech that he gives uh, about how foolish they all are. He say, you're going to defy the great power of heaven and turn against, uh, against him. And uh, it's uh, the way that Milton puts it. Um, it says, the flaming uh, seraph, fearless. So seraph is an angel. This is Abdiel was fearless. Though alone, encompassed round with foes, answered thus. That golden scepter which you did reject is now an iron rod to bruise and break your disobedience. Well, you did advise. Satan had said, you better leave here because, you know, and go tell them that we've waged war against heaven. He says, well, did you advise, yet not for your advice or threats do I fly. These wicked tents devoted, lest the wrath impendent raging into sudden flame distinguish not. Basically, what you're saying is if I stay here, judgment is going to come upon all these angels. And even though I'm a faithful and righteous one, I'm going to, I need to leave because judgment is coming. And it's very similar to what's happening in uh, Revelation. All these Jewish Christians who admire Jerusalem, the great city that for a thousand years had been the center of worship. It's their family. It's their culture. But they had been murdering the prophets and saints. And her ruin has finally come. And so there is a, comes a time where when we are faithful to the Lord, we have to part ways with apostasy, rebellion and disobedience against God. And in our case, what that looks like for us is sometimes that means we have to part ways with a church, a church that is no longer sitting under God's word or devoted to the commands of the Lord, believing God's promises. Now, when I say that, the temptation then in thinking about apostasy is to think that, well, that's something that other people do. And I need to stay away from people who might apostatize. But, you know, this passage, I think, has a challenge for our own hearts. You know, the Bible calls us to, you know, to analyze ourselves. And so that leads to a second thing I want to point out from this passage. Not only that apostasy means that sometimes you need to leave a church, but second, that apostasy grows among the wealthy. Apostasy happens the most in the midst of wealth. And one of the main themes of this passage, maybe when I was reading it, is uh, the wealth of Jerusalem. 
and those who had traded with Jerusalem and made themselves wealthy in this city. And you see it there in verse 9. How it says, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. And by the way, when you read about that, the smoke of her burning, I mean, that's literal. In, in 70 AD, when the Romans came and destroyed both Jerusalem and the temple, it was absolutely brutal de- uh, devastation. Uh, the people that were killed. And so this is really the people of the land are watching this, would watch, who read, first read this, would see Jerusalem burning and the fire and the smoke going up into heaven. And then it says in verse 11, And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, and the list goes on and on of, of all these, um, these possessions. And so wealth is a huge part of the apostasy, uh, apostasy of, this, um, of this passage. Now, there's a lot of d- debate about what this is talking about. Because, you know, okay, it's saying that this city was trading and they were selling things and they were making money and they were becoming rich. Is that wrong? Is that wrong to do business? Is that wrong to have markets? Is that wrong to have these possessions and to make money? Well, certainly uh, the list there ends with saying that they were selling human souls, which, of course, the slavery shows that there is something wicked and, you know, a profound greed in this marketplace that's being described. But wealth is a very complex topic in the Bible because you have passages in the Old Testament that really identify wealth with, with the righteous. You know, Abraham and Job are two famous characters from the Old Testament. They're both wealthy. They were both faithful to God. Uh, Psalm 1 says that the righteous man prospers in all that he does. So in one sense, you could say it's a very positive view of wealth. But then also throughout the Old Testament, the wicked are represented as the rich. And in the New Testament, I mean, over and over again, there's warnings about wealth and the, the corruption, that the potential that wealth has for our spiritual lives and, and devotion to God. And so what's the difference between the righteous rich and the wicked rich? The main difference is one thing. The righteous understand that none of their wealth is their own. They're not entitled to it. I don't even think it's that, uh, it's not even that their hard work has ultimately attained it. You know, we can often think that in America. We have Protestant work ethic. They think, my work got me all this wealth. That's not how the Bible talks. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns all the wealth. And the only reason we have any wealth is because his sovereign will has distributed the wealth how he wills. And, you know, those of you who, you know, if you've had a successful business, every successful business owner, I've heard they say, you know, a lot of it was luck. You know, luck or things that were out of my control. It was God's sovereign blessing in my life. It was not all just our work. The Lord distributed, distributes wealth the way that he will. And so what does that have to do with apostasy? Is that people are tempted to ignore and abandon the Lord when they have wealth. In the Old Testament, you know, God gave to his people the promised land. He said, you're going to come to this promised land, and you're going to get houses, you're going to get vineyards, you're going to have wells, you're going to have cattle, and I'm just going to bless you. And he says, but what's going to happen? I'm just going to tell you beforehand because I know the human heart. 
is you're going to receive all these possessions and then you're going to forget about me. And you're going to say, well, I have all the possessions. Why do I need the Lord anymore? And of course, that's it, precisely what's happening in our nation. We live in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. And, uh, and actually, you know, it's not just our nation. We should, you should know our denomination you know, we're a Presbyterian denomination. Presbyterians often tend to be, uh, you know, upper middle class and educated. And so there are a lot of Christians with a lot of wealth. And that has to be at least part of the reason why faith is in decline in our culture. is because apostasy grows in the context of wealth. And I've been uh, reading a book by a, a French uh, sociologist, Jacques Ellul, lived in the uh, 20th century. It's a book called Money and Power. It's really, it's kind of a Christian perspective on, on money in the Bible. It's a really fascinating book. Here's one line from Alul. He says, it is almost impossible to have many possessions and remain righteous. Righteousness is total dependence on God's action. When we have wealth, we, don't need to we think we don't need to depend on God's action. We can depend on our money and all that our money can buy and do and the power that it gives us. And so we have to ask these questions is, do we love God or wealth more? Do we seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness and then wait for the Lord to provide all that we need in his timing? Do we see wealth as truly not our own but the Lord's? All of my wealth belongs to him. And the only reason I have it is because he has assigned it according to his sovereign will. And so the re reality of apostasy means that on the one hand, there may be times where we have to part ways from other Christians who've been unfaithful in the Lord. You know, we need to leave Babylon before judgment falls on it. But on the other hand, apostasy is a warning to us about wealth, that you cannot serve God in money. Okay? But the mention of wealth and commerce in this passage, there's also another layer happening with all of that in this passage. And that's the third thing that I want to point out, is that apostasy can uh, be seen in, the, in a community's worship. You can recognize if a community is devoted to the Lord based on what is happening in the worship, when they gather in worship. And... Um, and, you know, there, there, uh, something that we've been doing throughout the book of Revelation is letting the rest of the Bible interpret Revelation for us. That's one thing with Revelation is often people start reading it and there's all this imagery and they just start guessing what the images are pointing to. So sometimes, you know, there's like these scorpions that people say are Black Hawk uh, you know, helicopters because they say, well, how do you know the scorpion is a Black Hawk helicopter? Well, I just, that seems like a connection. I can see a connection. But a safer way to interpret the Bible is to say, well, when you find something in the Bible, is there uh, other places in the Bible that speak about the same thing that are a little more clear? And so um, in this case, Jesus spoke pretty clearly about the destruction of Jerusalem and about many of the things that are talked about in Revelation. He talked about those things the week before he was killed. And so when we come to this passage, we could say, okay, well, this passage is saying there was all this commerce in Jerusalem uh, leading up to its destruction. Did Jesus say anything about buying and selling when he talked about this destruction of Jerusalem? Well, of course, there's a famous story about Jesus. What does he do? He goes into the temple 
And he starts throwing over the tables where there were all these money changers. They were buying and selling inside the temple. And uh, he says, he said that the temple was supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations to come, but you've made it a den of thieves. And so basically the court of the temple is this great courtyard outside of the temple. It's like 30 acres, this huge courtyard. And it was meant to be a place where people from every nation, all ethnic groups would come and they could hear sermons in this courtyard and they could sing hymns and they could pray. They could fellowship with other Christians. It was a place to meet God. And the Jews in Jerusalem at that time had basically turned that courtyard into a bazaar, you know, where there was just a marketplace where they're selling things. They were there to make money. And in fact, the imagery of the temple is present in these verses. You see, look at verse 16 where it says, Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. The fabric in the temple was purple and scarlet. And it was, it was uh, adorned with gold on the inside. And, you know, the high priest had jewels on his, on his uh, garments as the high priest. And so um, what's happening in this passage is the wealth that should have been used for the building of God's temple and his kingdom, the people are now taking for themselves. And that's why I say apostasy what the people really care about can be seen when they worship together. It reflects what they care about. If in a worship service, there's focus on God, not ourselves. If there's focus on God's word and instructions on what he's given to us. Then these are the things that they say, well, God is there. If there's uh, focus on, on success or looking cool or being liked or, or the, uh, the wealth of God's people, then, uh, then that gives you a sense of what they really love. And I think the positive side of this is also that one of the great antidotes to apostasy is strong biblical worship. You know, some of you have maybe had times in your life where you say, you know, I've gone through some really hard seasons. I'm really not sure. Do I want to keep trying to be a Christian? You know, being a Christian is hard sometimes because you're not only having to do all the hard things about life and, you know, a job and provide for yourself and deal with health issues. You have to deal with all that and you have to deal with, you know, obeying God and, and honoring him. And you might say, you know, I'm just tired of it and things have not gone the way I want. And maybe some of you have felt that temptation toward apostasy to say, I want to just harden myself and be done with it. One of the great antidotes is to be, to gather with God's people in worship regularly and just say, you know what, I need to be here. And I might be struggling to believe, but all these people are believing. And the fact that they believe, it kind of rubs off on me and it kind of holds me together and holds me into the faith. That is how God has made us. And so churches can turn from the Lord and sometimes we have to part from them because of it. But we also have to be on guard because we live among such wealth and apostasy grows among the wealthy as we see that it's happening in our culture. So we must give special attention to our worship that it is devoted to Christ and it is uh, founded on his word. But there's one last thing that I want to point out from this passage is that apostasy can lead people to Jesus. That in fact, the whole point of this passage is to lead people to know Christ. 
And, um, you know, the, po- the topic of apostasy is, is paradoxical in the Bible. Um, some of you will know the kind of age-old theology question, can you lose your salvation? If you're a, a Christian, are you, you know, once saved, you're always saved? Or can you, if you're a Christian, can you reject the Lord and turn from Him? Is apostasy even possible? And uh, the Bible's answers are paradoxical. Actually, it gives... Uh, various answers that I think are all true, and we have to kind of hold them all together. So, for example, Jesus says in John chapter 10 that if you are one of his sheep, no one, you were, the Father gave you to Jesus the Son, and no one can snatch you from his hand, and no one can snatch you from the Father's hand. They have a hold of you, and, and that's why Philippians says that the work that God begins in his people, he will see to completion. And so there's this incredibly strong message that if you belong to the Lord, you cannot be lost by him. It's the perseverance of the saints that we will be held on to and treasured, okay? But you also have other passages like Hebrews chapter 6, which says there are people who have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, who have tasted of the powers of the age to come, They seem to have true faith. They've enjoyed Christian fellowship, even the Scriptures and God Himself. And yet, they have turned away from the Lord and and hardened themselves against Him. Maybe some of you say, I know people like that. It's like they've they've been so, seem so devoted to the Lord, and then they have turned and been so hostile to the Lord. How could that happen? It seems like that's exactly what's happened, is they've uh, uh, apostatized. And, and, um, And uh, Hebrews 6 even says that it's possible for people to come to a place where they can no longer be restored to repentance, which means that they've hardened themselves so much that it has become a permanent condition. Now, one thing that's important about that verse is it says that they might not be able to be restored to repentance. It does not say that they cannot be restored to the Lord. Because Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And, uh, and Revelation is written seven years before the destruction of Jerusalem. It's the Lord's warning to say, turn to me. Here's another opportunity. I've waited centuries and centuries through my people's unfaithfulness. And again, I'm giving you another opportunity. And you know, in the 40 years from when Jesus predicted uh, the destruction of Jerusalem to, to, from 30 AD to 70 AD, you know what happened in those 40 years? There was one particular Christian that was chosen to be a special uh, uh, agent of God's kingdom, the great Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, we read about in the book of Acts, was a church leader who in Jerusalem killed St. Stephen. He is one of the people who shed blood in Jerusalem of the prophets and the saints. And yet the Lord rescued him. And then the Lord took the Apostle Paul and said, I want to send you throughout the Mediterranean. I want as many people as possible to meet you and hear your story because you are declaring that there's an open offer of forgiveness. That even if you've shed the blood of my prophets and my saints, I want you to turn to me. And that is the Lord's heart. And even as Jesus was killed in Jerusalem and he cried out, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. The Lord is always slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so as a church, let us guard that our hearts do not turn from the Lord, whether by the way of the culture or by churches that have turned from him or from wealth 
or from worship that has lost its focus on him and let the warning of apostasy ultimately lead us to the gracious Savior who forgives sinners. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the honesty of, of your word. And, and though it's troubling for us to hear, read a passage like this that uh, tells of the destruction of a great city, uh, Lord, that is the reality of this world. We see that reality, that the effects of sin, where we go our own way, lead to our ruin. And so, Lord, uh, give us all hearts here that hear the offer of your grace and promise, and may we always treasure it. And I pray for those who are present here who may have those thoughts in their mind that maybe life would be better away from the Lord. And I pray that you would keep them uh, from the folly of those thoughts. And uh, would the love of your people, the faith of your people, uh, be a place uh, that holds uh, them intact. And so, Lord, keep us here. We all need our faith to be strengthened and encouraged. May you do that as we worship together. In Jesus' name, amen.